Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Then Again at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Today, we're going to be talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and we have with us Dr. Rick Cabot of the University of North Georgia. Thanks for joining us, sir. Uh, Well, thank you, Glenn. Thanks for inviting me. So tell us a little bit about what you do at the university and and why you have a proclivity for this particular topic. (laughs) I am a uh, professor of history and associate dean uh, at UNG at the Gainesville campus, and I've been teaching for over 30 years. And uh, my main area of interest and research is the Cold War, uh, primarily domestic politics, and uh, but I teach essentially late 19th into the mid 20th century uh, U.S. history. Excellent. So, so you're prepared for this? <laughs> and, oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and you I'll know, see. And, uh, it depends on what your questions are. <laughs> right. Well, I always don't try to off topic. <laughs> I, I like to uh, to lob the softballs until I don't. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, I appreciate uh, that. And you know, let, folks, like most like most of our podcasts, the subjects were we want to talk about, we're just brushing the surface. And, and the Cuban Missile Crisis is certainly a huge part of the Cold War and of America's identity with itself at this time. So Dr. Cabot, can you give us like the even the five to eight minute summation of what the Cuban Missile Crisis actually was and why it was a crisis and why there were missiles? Sure. So what happened was, of course, there was a revolution in Cuba uh, in 1959, and Fidel Castro uh, and his guerrilla army uh, came into power. And he was a Cuban nationalist, so his appeal to the Cuban people and probably the root of his success was that he um, opposed the United States and what was perceived by many in Cuba as American imperialism you know, throughout the uh, 20th century. So in 1960, after consolidating power, he uh, gets close to the Soviet Union which is led by Nikita Khrushchev uh, at the time. And Khrushchev was seeking, in this basic Soviet policy, a way of spreading communism throughout the world and competition with the United States, uh, which was uh, trying to spread free markets and capitalism. So you got the Cold War going on that ended after our, our started, I'm sorry, after World War II. And so Castro uh, cast his lot with the Soviet Union, and he's a charismatic, you know, revolutionary that Khrushchev could identify with and, you know, wanted to exploit for obvious reasons <laughs> and 90 miles away from the United States. And so they cut a deal uh, where Cuba would get a lot of money and would return uh, payment for that with uh, agricultural products, sugar, stuff like that. That outraged the United States, uh, specifically the Eisenhower administration in 1960, which put an embargo on Cuba and then prepared to overthrow Castro's government through a covert action, the CIA. Of course, Eisenhower's gone in 1961 because he was replaced by John F. Kennedy. And Kennedy ran as a cold warrior. He claimed that he was going to challenge the Soviet Union uh, after eight long years of Republican uh, passivity, uh, according to him, that there was a missile gap and that the Soviets had uh, an advantage in missile technology. And this goes back to the uh, Sputnik launch of the first satellite, October 1957. He really exploited that. It's really not true. Uh, The United States was, you know, way more powerful in terms of missile technology and 
the military. But to say so would have tipped our hand, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it worked for him uh, in this campaign. And uh, and he won just barely against uh, Richard Nixon, who was Eisenhower's vice president. And so Kennedy uh, learns of this covert action and says, uh, hey, this is just a great idea. You know, that's what I campaigned on. And uh, so he allows it to go forward in April of 1961. Uh, it was a colossal failure. About 1,500 Cubans who had fled the revolution were trained by the CIA, landed at a place called the Bay of Pigs uh, in southern shore of Cuba, were met by the Cuban military. I was quickly alerted. It was completely put down. And the only way it may have succeeded, which I doubt it would have anyway (laughs) militarily, was for the uh, U.S. Air Force to come in and provide air support. But that really would have required a U.S. military presence probably an invasion. And Kennedy refused to do that because he had made it clear that before it started that it had to succeed on its own terms. And it obviously hadn't. So it was a great embarrassment to Kennedy in the United States, obvious, you know, attempt to overthrow the government. Khrushchev then perceives this as Kennedy is weak and can be manipulated because obviously he wasn't going to do much to save Cuba, uh, seeing that we had overwhelming superiority in nuclear weapons. And so he uh, devises this idea and the next spring and summer of 62, to put nuclear weapons in Cuba as a defensive purpose to uh, defend the revolution in Cuba. Also, this is an important part of the story, the United States had placed nuclear missiles in Turkey and Italy, but Turkey is the main concern, which uh, borders the Soviet Union, uh, had done that in 1961. And so Khrushchev would be able to embarrass the United States by, hey, you're putting missiles again right next to our border and you can take out Russian cities. Yeah, we'll do the same to you. And so they secretly put them in. And that creates the crisis. When the United States finds out uh, in mid-October that the missiles are there, Kennedy demands that they be taken out. And that creates the drama, essentially, of the crisis. Is (laughs) that enough background? Uh, No, that's, that's pretty good. That's it. Yeah, and it's, you know, in retrospect, the missiles in Turkey seem to have been our way of trying to nudge the Soviets. And then when they try to do the exact same thing to us, we were incredulous, right? Right. And in fact, it's a funny story. Uh, When uh, (laughs) Kennedy finds out about the missiles on October 15th, and then he sets up this national security ad hoc committee called the uh, executive committee. Uh, It was 15 members and people of national security uh, backgrounds in his administration or leadership, I mean. And on the 16th, the next day, they're talking about why, what would, you know, inspire Khrushchev to do this and put these missiles in Cuba. And uh, Kennedy says, I'm paraphrasing, uh, it would be as though uh, we put missiles in Turkey or something like that. That would be a darn provocative move. Uh, (laughs) And he had forgotten about it. That, had, that we'd actually done that. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. And uh, so it was basically the motivations for the Soviet Union was defend Cuba from what obviously was going to be was American aggression in the Bay of Pigs and an ongoing aggression in what was called Operation Mongoose, which was a covert action to kill Castro and harass Cuba in any way possible and overthrow the regime. And Castro and Khrushchev were very concerned about that. And they thought, well, this will solve the issue and also make it even. You you got missiles on uh, our border. How do you like having them on yours? Things uh, didn't go so well for uh, Khrushchev uh, <laughs> right, well, yeah, as that, things progressed. Yes, as things progressed. Yes, that's the thing. Uh, you know, Cuba, Cuba's an island and 
to get the missiles in and out and, and supported at this point, they've got to take it in with ships, right? Yeah, they snuck them in in the summer of 62. And there were reports and concerns that there seemed to be a lot of Soviet activity in the ports <laughs> in Cuba. Uh, and they were placing uh, anti-aircraft um, uh, uh, artillery uh, along the coast. And um, they were getting reports from spies, obviously, in Cuba. And Miami was like a, you know, just a network of spying, essentially, because of the ties to Cuba and uh, worked both ways. But the problem was there was no definitive evidence until these U-2 flights. The U-2 is the uh, plane that flew about 70,000 feet and took photographs for spying purposes. The Soviets didn't have anything like that, but we did. And those had been suspended in the summer of 1962, kind of on and off suspended because of the fear of the planes being shot down, creating a diplomatic crisis. Also, there are weather issues too. I mean, there's no reason to fly them if there's, you know, cloud cover and things like that. So it the, the definitive evidence was delayed until October. The problem was, is those missile sites were on the verge of being operational. We didn't really, Kennedy didn't know if they were operational or not. And so what happens is the XCOM kind of talks about this and they come up with basically two ways of responding, air attack and then an invasion, uh, which the military, of course, are very much in favor, for, uh, favor of, or a blockade or or as Kennedy would call it, a quarantine. Because, folks, a blockade is technically an act of war. Exactly. So (laughs) they use quarantine rather than blockade. (laughs) And And the difference uh, is? Pardon? The difference in a quarantine and a blockade in this case is? Uh, Well, the the name, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, that's diplomatic language for you right Right. there. And uh, so that goes into effect on October 24th. Uh, Kennedy announced it on the 22nd in a speech. And uh, Khrushchev, of course, responded by saying, saying this is an act of war and we will not respect it uh, in any way. And then, of course, uh, when the ships actually come up to the line, uh, they stop. And uh, there's lots of tension, obviously. But quarantine seemed to work. I mean, Khrushchev backs down uh, at that point. Well, and, you know, folks, to place this in context, too, for some of our listeners, remember, they're they're flying photographic reconnaissance aircraft because we don't have satellites at this point. And there is no red line to Moscow at this point. So communication with between Washington and Moscow is sketchy at best or even existent. It's all through like telegrams and then uh, third parties. What happens on the 25th is that's when everything kind of comes to a standstill and they're like, you know, what are we going to do? And at that point, resident uh, agent in Washington for the KGB, a guy named Alexander Foman, contacts a, a journalist in the United States here, American journalist John Scaly, and has lunch with him and talks about what is you know going on. And what the, the attempt was, was to try to what how could we solve this problem? And so Scali says that, well, you know, the war is imminent and the invasion is probably going to happen. And so the way it could be resolved is, Foman says is a promise that Cuba would never be attacked, that you're going to call off this constant harassment of Cuba, at least in, in a, a formal invasion or something. And so these these are the back channels. Essentially, Foman, who is a you know top KGB agent, is able to signal. I've signaled this to the Kennedy administration. Scaly talks to Kennedy administration, and that's where Kennedy gets the idea that 
you know, we can send a letter. Well, you already sent a letter, I'm sorry, saying that, hey, you know, you got to get the missiles out, but we could just promise not to invade Cuba and maybe that would be the solution. Kennedy had also signaled to Khrushchev that he may be willing to deal with the Jupiter missiles and Turkey by having Walter Littman on the 25th of October uh, publish a column. He's a very famous journalist at the time in the New York Herald Tribune saying that, hey, you know, we have these missiles in Turkey. Maybe there could be a trade. And so Kennedy, you know, there's signals going on. But that's how the communication was. There was no direct communication, which, of course, made things very, very dangerous. Right. right. Because you you have warships outside Cuba staring each other down, not knowing what they're going to do. You have no direct communication between the belligerents. So, you know, and I've, and I've talked to guys who are in the military, you know, we're talking low down in the Navy and the Air Force and the Army, but they were sure we were going to war because oh, yeah. they were totally mobilized. Right. And war was imminent. It was probably going to come on that Monday. This uh, 26 was a Friday. And that's where, you know, Foman, you know, gives a message to Khrushchev, essentially. And that's where they, Khrushchev then writes a letter to Kennedy sent through Telegram saying a big, long, rambling letter saying that <laughs> in the end, you could tell he's he's getting, you know, panicky and that we can cut this deal. Uh, if you promise never to invade Cuba and overthrow the government, we'll take our missiles out of Cuba. The other thing that was pushing Khrushchev towards this is Castro was getting kind of hysterical uh, and he thought the war is imminent. And uh, he was saying we need to ha- do a first strike. Uh, we need to lob nuclear weapons into Guantanamo. They had tactical nuclear weapons and medium range missiles that they had were operational, but they were very cumbersome to actually launch. So whether they could actually fire those missiles is kind of doubtful, but they could do serious damage, bomb the naval uh, base at Guantanamo with nuclear weapons that would have launched an immediate strike against the Soviet Union. And Castro was calling for this. All these tactical nuclear weapons were under the control of the officers on the ground. Cuban are, are Soviet officers. Soviet officers, because if it had been Cuban, you know, oh, they would have gone. <laughs> uh, but Khrushchev is worried about this. He's worried that, you know, they're going to be talking to one another. They're going to, you know, uh, Cubans are going to talk his officers into, you know, using these weapons and they're shooting conventional anti-aircraft uh, missiles to U-2 flights uh, that are going over. And it's a very, very tense situation. So that's the context in which he sends the letter. And so they get it and kind of what, you know, Kennedy's kind of hoping for. But then the next day, uh, Radio Moscow sends out a second message. And this ties a deal to removal of the missiles in Turkey. And that's where it gets very tense. The Saturday is called Black Saturday by the people uh, involved in it. This is October 27th. And a U-2 flight got shot down by conventional anti-aircraft attack. Rudolf Anderson was the pilot of it and was killed. Kennedy is facing enormous pressure to respond to that militarily. Then a Soviet submarine, which wasn't really found out years later, uh, surfaced along the quarantine line to get air, essentially for his diesel engines and, you know, oxygen for the uh, for the submarine. And a U.S. plane went by and dropped some flares that they thought were depth charges. And so they had a nuclear-tipped torpedo uh, on the submarine. <laughs> and the way it worked was the captain of the ship had to uh, had get agreement with the political officer, kind of communist political officer on, on the submarine. They both had to agree to use it. Fortunately, the kind of squad commander of that submarine group was on that particular submarine, and he vetoed their decision to use that torpedo. That could have started World War III right there, just the launch of that. So Kennedy then, he's with XCOM, they're meeting during the day. He's saying, we have to 
respond to the second message, right? And what XCOM is saying, no, just respond to the first. This is kind of a famous story that comes out of the crisis. And Kennedy then takes a, gr- a small group, uh, his main advisors, into the Oval Office that late in the day, and they meet secretly from the rest of the group. And he agrees that what we'll do is send a message responding to the first, agree never to invade Cuba. And he sends his brother, Bobby Kennedy, attorney general, to meet with uh, Dobrynin, the Soviet ambassador to the United States. And they meet in the Justice Department in Kennedy's, Bobby Kennedy's office. And that's where Bobby Kennedy says, we will remove the missiles, but it cannot be made public. Uh-huh. This agreement that would remain secret for well out to the late late 1980s. The reason is is they insisted upon no connection of a, of a trade of these missiles, and the reason for that is that would have seen as Kennedy backing down from his ultimatum. He's already compromised by saying we'll never do anything to Castro. Right. The other reason is the concerned about NATO. And we publicly remove missiles because the Soviet Union has demanded so. The NATO countries are going to essentially say, we'll never defend them, right? When the right. United States is threatened. So those things combined, you know, lead to the solution. So the solution de-escalated everything eventually, yeah. but how, how close were we? I mean, it, really, how close was it all about to, to going bad? Uh, very, very close. Because at any time, as I said, those tactical weapons could have been used. And essentially the plan was, if this doesn't work over the weekend, we're attacked like by Monday or Tuesday. We're going to launch an air attack and then a full-scale invasion of Cuba. That would have resulted in the use of nuclear weapons against American forces. And Kennedy would have had no choice but to launch a massive retaliation against the Soviet Union. Now, whether those missiles that we know now they were operational, but as I said, it's kind of doubtful as to whether they could have actually been fired because of technical reasons. Still, the Soviet Union had missiles. They, they had didn't have that many. They had about, I don't know, I think it was like 40 or so that could possibly reach you know the United States. But again, they're, technically they were not very good. And, you know, who knows how many of those could have been fired, but even one would have been devastating. Because it would have just escalated all the way. Yeah. And so the United States probably would have emerged with, you know, maybe a nuclear attack on American soil. American military personnel would have been, you know, wiped out by nuclear weapons, you know, invading Cuba. But the Soviet Union and much of Europe, because the Soviets would have attacked in in Europe with the nuclear missiles they had, which they had much more of ability to hit European targets, would be like smoldering radioactive wasteland. (laughs) So, I mean, what do you achieve, right? Who knows what the world would be like after some type of massive attack like that? Well, I mean, was was this, I guess it it was this close. Was this the closest it ever was during what we normally consider the Cold War? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Later, when there's, you know, certain crises, both arsenals are so big that, yeah, they would have wiped out the entire world. At this point, the war probably wouldn't have like wiped out the entire globe, but the globe would have been just a, a horrible place. Mm. The planet would have been a horrible place to live in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Don't get a end. nuclear war, kids. <laughs> right. So uh, in the end, what's I think an important lesson really to take from it is both sides got what they needed because both Khrushchev and Kennedy were, um, they didn't paint each other into a corner. In the end, Khrushchev realized that he had to make that deal secret, the trade, in order for Kennedy to save face. Uh, and Kennedy had to agree not to overtly overthrow Cuba, the Cuban government, because Khrushchev had to save face. And Khrushchev could say, I achieved what I wanted to achieve, the defense of Cuba. And Kennedy 
did not get painted into a corner where he's, you know, selling out his NATO allies and facing all kinds of political heat from that, you know, domestically, which that would have been enormously controversial right. uh, if that had been known in 1962. Well, and it, and it sounds too like, you know, one of the, one of the biggest reasons that this worked out the way it did is because on both sides, the civilian authorities ignored their, their military I mean, is that safe to say? Right. I think it is. Yes. Uh, Both of them were under enormous pressure. To, to use military force to achieve what the military thought would be, you know, some type of, you know, victory. But yeah, I some type of victory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Kennedy and Cruz said, what kind of victory is it, you know, with millions and millions of people dead? You, you, the whole point of this is, you know, we don't want to destroy the world. We want to preserve it. And this is a, so in a sense, both looked at it, this is a rivalry, not a fight to the, to the end, right? Right. Uh, the death. Yeah, I think that's true. And this, and you know, the last question I'll ask is: Did the Cuban Missile Crisis sort of change change the tone of of the Cold War? Up to that point, it had been very adversarial and sort of a zero sum game. But after that, it seems like both sides stepped back and took a deep breath and said, "Okay, we're going to approach." And like you say, this we're going to approach this rivalry differently than we have in the past. Uh, they did, and there was immediate thawing uh, of the relations uh, in 1963 with the uh, Test Ban Treaty, limited Test Ban Treaty, in which put restrictions on testing uh, nuclear weapons in the atmosphere and mutual interests of reducing radiation, you know, in the atmosphere. Right. And also there was uh, the um, immediate telephone communications uh, between Moscow and Washington. And that would lead to the, the test ban treaty was the first arms control ag- agreement between the Soviet Union and the United States. And that would lead to eventually the strategic arms control limitations treaty of what, 1972, which Nixon would, would sign. Long time in coming. But that set the ball rolling for recognizing that, you know, we need to have some kind of control over this out of control arms race and <laughs> what can result from it. So because it turned out the way it did, it was probably in the end a good thing that it happened? I wouldn't say it's a good thing that it happened. Uh, <laughs> that was simply just a, a fortunate result But uh, because I think we did come very close to having, you know, the World War III uh, using nuclear weapons. Right. Yeah, you know, the people I love this quote and people use it often that Winston Churchill said, I don't know what weapons the next war will be fought with but, but the one after that will be fought with steel and stones. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and Kennedy was very much uh, aware of that and, and sensitive to that. And as he said, one of them paraphrasing, but you know, if we listen to the brass hats, nobody will be around to tell them that they're wrong. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, that's a that's a good place to, to tie it up. You know, like I said at the beginning, this is a remarkably complex topic. You've done a fantastic job of trying to give us a nutshell view of it. Thank you, Dr. Cabot. This has been a fantastic conversation. Well, thank you, Glenn. And thanks for the invitation. Um, enjoyed it. Absolutely. Folks, we're going to sign off now from then again. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and we hope you will continue to listen. And until we see you next time, either in person or online, stay safe and take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages, 
Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.